absolutely ridiculous. Hello everyone, welcome to Around the Course Squash Podcast. With me as ever, Stuart Crawford and Christopher Sackley. How you doing, fellas? Good to hear. Feeling good. <laughs> Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, hump day. Hey, hey, hey. It does feel like I need to get over the hump today. Not going to lie to you. I said I, <laughs> I said I was feeling good, but I'm, I'm dragging a little. <laughs> I've had Can't a good lie. day here, actually. A little bit of work and then... I'm actually going to give a shout out to a bit of a rival podcast, but uh, I listened to an episode over the weekend with uh, Jerry Gibson interviewing Jamie Haycox. And oh, legend. Jamie spoke about his podcast, Squash Tourist, which uh, I was actually aware of, but I hadn't actually listened to an episode, but I've started binging on it. So in the last two days, I've listened to five episodes and it's been brilliant. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. <laughs> I've listened to a few. I loved the uh, the first episode with, with Truswell. Yeah. And, you know, they're talking about, you know, traveling to the south of France and stay like camping outside for like a, uh, what were they called? Closed satellites back in the day? Yep. Oh, man. Uh, they, locked it. they couldn't even get in the, the club property originally, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I say, I've listened to five in two days of just on my runs. Uh, two highlights were it's always good when you know the person, but the Chris Ryder episode was really good. And yeah. he tells a brilliant story about having dinner in Ukraine with uh, Vladimir Klitschko. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. So that's worth a listen. And the other really good one was uh, Peter Creed talking about going to Vegas. And basically he was there working with Gus Hansen, who's a professional gambler, um, decent squash player, but basically took him out and, was he was there so that if he wanted a game of squash he was on call but he was basically wandering around the casino watching him gamble and at one point he was like over 24 hours straight and that's another brilliant story so yeah. i used i i got one or two emails probably you know four or five years ago I, I i someone included me on a email with a ton of pros and it was hey i have a you know contact who's a professional poker player and it, i i I think I remember hearing it was Gus Hansen. Um, and yeah, he, I guess he likes squash and whenever he can get a break from the poker, he likes to, likes to just try and get a quick game. in. so he was paying for someone to live, live in Vegas for a couple of weeks. But at the time I think I was coaching, can't remember which school I was at, but I was coaching college squash and I couldn't get away. Sounds like you missed out, Chris. Yeah. Sounds like one of those jobs you should have, wherever you were, you should have dropped it and went to Vegas. Cause yeah. Yeah. All like, in a sick uh, day. Creedy had a great time out there, but no, um, yeah, really, really fun listening to some of the stories and especially when you know the guys. So that was a real funny story about Chris Ryder. <laughs> so he was studying in Loughborough. So he used to train in Nottingham and I just moved to Nottingham. So I would have been 18 or 19 and I was living on my own in this apartment. And every now and again, he'd stay with me and for, you know, if we were doing trips to Yorkshire League or Northwest Counties. Fair to say, my house was a little bit of a fixture upper. And one day, he turned up with all these cleaning products, and he was like, "Come on, Arthur, you know, you you could have a really nice house here if you could just, you know, clean it up and keep, you know, maintain it." <laughs> I'm pretty sure I don't want to fabricate the story, but I'm pretty sure he helped me tidy up the place, and it was spotless for about thirty six hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a guy! Yeah, great player as well. Yeah. Anyway, great job, Jamie, but um, unfortunately, 
I don't want to promote it too much because I want our listeners to listen to this first. But if you do have extra time for another squash podcast, <laughs> highly recommended. <laughs> it is good. Uh, all right, so let's a uh, couple of tasty quarterfinals about to start off on the in Giza in front of the pyramids. Yeah, some brilliant matches coming up. Um, some brilliant matches the last couple of days as well. But I think, like we've said in previous events, the quarterfinals for me is when it really starts to get interesting. Generally, you have the top eight players or someone that's upset someone in the top eight playing at this stage. And it's generally what happens when you start with a draw of 48 players and you get down to eight, Stuart. <laughs> well, sometimes one of those players could lose early and then the person that beat them could lose in the next round. And then yeah, we just got a bunch of... Yeah, all right. Yeah, fair enough. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're down to the last eight. What's your highlight quarter final match? Coming up, yes. Um, I think for me, two on the men's side, it'll be really interesting for me to see where Gauthier stacks up against uh, Ali. This is the first time he's been in the quarterfinal for two years, I think I read, um, and he's playing number one seed in this event. Well, he so did make a- the quarterfinal of the the Czech Open there a few weeks ago, the twelve k. <laughs> Sorry, I'm forgetting about that one. How did it slip my mind? <laughs> I uh yeah I I I hope Ali um you know is is on form because I have him to win the whole thing but um yeah I mean I just he he doesn't seem like he's at you know the level he's been at in the past um Ali in terms of being able to uh to you know really dominate and from all you know everything we've seen Goche is looking pretty strong pretty fit uh so he's going to be a threat he looks a lot physically stronger than he did back at TOC. He looked so lean, but his upper body almost looked like it lost a lot of muscle mass from what you were used to seeing back then. But it seems like he's regained a lot of that and physically looks... Uh, I haven't seen much of him because he's obviously not played in the glass court yet. He's been on the, the club court so far and I've seen little bits, but um, I think it'll be competitive. I think I still think Ali is probably bit sharper just because he's played a lot of matches in the last two years at that level whereas Gauthier obviously hasn't but it'll be a big test it's also the first time Gauthier has played at the pyramids since he lost the, that famous world open final to Palmer back in 2006 I remember watching that live Same. on the old PSA live TV and just could not believe what I was watching yeah because he didn't play the I don't know why he didn't play the tournament in the pyramids in 2016 when he was uh, two in the world but he missed that. And then obviously last year when they had it, he was injured. So he didn't play then either. So he hasn't played in front of the pyramids for 14 years. Yeah, it'd be a nice return. I saw a little interview that he did with PSA. That I think they just released a minute or two on Twitter. And yeah, uh, saw that too. He looks in great form and he finishes off. You know, it's like, I'm done with ducking and now I'm, <laughs> I'm ready for battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And back to the original question of, what matches stand out? The other one that stands out for me is the one we spoke about previously about Paul Call against Mustafa Asal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a, I think that's going to be a great one. Just hard hard to think it's going to be like easy for either one of them and there's not going to be a little bit of fireworks, you know? Oh, there will be. But <laughs> I think referencing Paul's match with uh, Dezuki in Manchester, I think he's more than capable of kind of handling, handling that and it'll be interesting to see if his straight lines 
if they're pretty tight. I mean, he's not going to give Mustafa much to hit with when he's, you know, looking for those cross-court nicks. Like, there's not going to be an awful lot of ball to be able to get his racket onto. So it'll be interesting to see how Mustafa deals with that. Now having the angles, it shapes up to be an unbelievably good match. You've got, you know, someone who likes to play really tidy straight lines and someone who likes to have those angles to hit cross-court nicks. So, yeah, I think it's going to be great. A counter-puncher, an attacker, a lifter and a hitter. Yeah, and I think that's where Paul struggled. Oh, and sorry, sorry, last one. And yeah. a blocker and a good mover. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, as I you think, were. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think that's where Paul struggled a little bit against Joel at the last event. He was a, just a little off his, uh, off his mark accuracy-wise. So he'll definitely need that. And one of the big matches for me, based on my predictions, is, you know, I called Camille over Hania in matchup 150. <laughs> yeah. Another yeah. good, another on good the tweet side, by Stuart. That, that certainly stands out on the women's side. Uh, so, yeah, Hania's 150th match just against Camille. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. Um, but, yeah, I think of the four women's quarterfinals, that one clearly stands out. Yeah. The other one, the other one today should be good to watch too, to just see how, how much, uh, you know, Nayla Gilas has closed that gap. Um, obvious, you know, Noran looks a little bit sharper this week than last week, but, uh, yeah, it'll be good to see, good to see how, how close she can get, you know, she took out a couple of good players to get here, but this is, this is a big one. She does look sharper, but I don't know if you saw the start of the third game when she played, uh, Ron. Al-Arabi, and she went off for an injury timeout with her ankle um, and looked in real pain. And even when she came back on court, she was still sort of hobbling and sort of Ooh. you were wondering. She was too love up. So you kind of thought um, before that happened that she was going to win quite comfortably. But then it, it looked so bad that you questioned whether she would even finish the match. But she, she actually played some really good squash and didn't seem to be affected by it. So it'd be interesting to see if that's a factor tonight. It's funny that you say that she played good squash in the third. I only saw the first two games and I thought, okay, good night, Vienna, uh, moving on. And sometimes when you're a little bit hinged from moving as well as you can, or certainly covering the court as well as you can, you have to play a smarter game in order yeah. to reduce your movement. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I do think Nayla's got the sort of game, though, that if you're short physically and you struggle to move, she's going to lengthen the rallies and make you work hard for it. So it's it's going to be tough to just sort of steamroller through her. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. And do we cool. see uh, Sherbini and El Tayeb coming through fairly straightforward on the other other women's side? I would say I do, yeah. yeah I watched I think... a little bit of those matches yesterday on the side court. Um, I have to say the Salma Hani and Joel King match was uh, not pleasant to watch. Um, I didn't see it from the start, but I started watching to what – Early on in the fifth, I think it was about one all in the fifth, something like that. Um, but the number of lets and blocks, actually no lets, more than lets, um, really bad movement off the ball and almost exclusively from Salma Hani. Um, I always think Joelle's pretty fair and clean and I've watched a lot of her over the years and never really seen her in a sort of scrappy, dirty match like that. But I don't really feel like she was doing much wrong. Um, unfortunately, the referee was rewarding Salma, but she was hitting some very good shots, but then just giving, the ref was giving no lets with 
Joao having no opportunity to get through and play the ball, where I felt like a lot of them she could have got back. Do you put the blame on Salma? I don't get me wrong, her movement obviously wasn't great off the ball and she wasn't given any lines, but if you put yourself in her shoes, if you're going to get rewarded for doing it, would you keep doing it? Yeah, I certainly think some of the blame goes with the ref. Yeah. Uh, they have to stamp that out early and maybe it was a situation where, um, I mean, like I say, I don't want to comment because I didn't see the start of the match, but it would have been interesting to see at what point it started happening. Joel obviously won the first two games and um, I don't know if she was just dealing with it better or Salma maybe decided, right, this isn't working, I need to try something different. And I think it's the referee's job to put a stamp to that early and not allow it to get to a point where it's really difficult to control. Yeah, I agree. It's just disappointing that, I mean, the referees should be ready for, for that and to be able to see it and identify it quickly. And if it was a case where in the first two games it wasn't happening so much and Salman did get into it in the third, they should be able to identify that. You've got a player who's frustrated, is looking to do everything they can to survive in the tournament. And that's part of it, right? And all it takes is a referee to say, hey, enough of that stroke against you and they won't do it again and the game continues as it was not necessarily in the same vein that it's going to be three love to Joel but at least if Sam was going to win she's going to have to play good squash as opposed to standing over the ball yeah, yeah there's there's just like a clear there's a clear line between the refs who understand the nuances and the refs that don't because some of these calls are just like pre-programmed in their head oh it was a good shot and the ball was played from this position and we don't want to call lets from that position. And they don't have that second kind of level of, of thought, I guess, to say it was a good shot. It was played from around the middle of the court, but like the movement was just not clean and they don't, I don't know if they see the pattern either. Right. Or they don't see the pattern change of, Oh, she was letting her through on those balls when it was two all, but now it's seven all she's yeah. getting in the way. Right. And, that's, the, that's yeah. a really good point, by the way, that is when the moving pattern changes. You know, it's like, oh, I haven't seen that before. No, no, there's no intent in there. You're abs- that is absolutely spot on. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating to watch. The, that's also where the video referee comes in really well because I think you can see it a lot clearer on the review system. Um, you've got the ability to obviously slow it down. You can see from different angles. Um, and one of the things that I think frustrated Joel more than anything was the fact that these calls were being made and there was no way of having them looked at or overturned potentially. Yeah. Um, you, and, and once you get a referee that doesn't see that, there's very little you can do. And I think, like I say, I've, I've never seen Joel so annoyed, frustrated, and in my opinion, right, rightly so, because it was not fun to watch. So I can't imagine how unenjoyable it was to play the other women's match yesterday was similar in the sense that it also had quite a lot of interference and decisions but at least on that one it felt like it was a little bit I didn't feel that one player was gaining more than the other I think they were both as guilty this is the um, Josh Nishinapa and Farida Mohammed match it seemed a little bit more even in terms of both of them doing it. I think there was also a lot of nerves in the fifth when I watched it they're obviously playing for placing the quarterfinals, which would be a big deal for both of them. Um, and I think part of their problems came from tension and just sort of hitting the ball with a lot of pace and not necessarily clearing that well, but it didn't seem quite as blatant and 
uh, certainly don't feel like one person was being shafted, so to speak. I didn't see. I'm not, not at liberty to comment. And how do you guys feel about um, the Mezen Hashem, Hashem run? Is it going to end with Marwan? What a guy. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it's been interesting to see him back to this type of form. Um, the announcers are all announcers are all talking you know like what could it be you know he looks so much more consistent and it was interesting that you know he pointed out he was going to the military and wouldn't be able to play much it might just be uh you know pressure off pressure off looking fit moving well um he just always kind of had the game the game to get to a high level just tough for him to put it together for runs um until but I guess tonight will, or tomorrow night, sorry, will will be a big uh, big show. I think the fitness is the key. Um, not just um, being injury-free, but also having the, the confidence in his physical ability against, um, against Saurav. He was really patient. He was uh, so much more sort of selective and when he opened the court up and still hit some outrageous, I mean, he hit three forehand, three wall boasts that just rolled out of the neck. Um, hit a few of his sort of standard cross-court drops, that sort of backhand one where he almost turns around and faces the back wall as he's playing in it. He hit one of them. But overall, he just looked a lot more willing to wait for the right opportunity and not do crazy things that you've seen him do in the past. And I think a lot of that came from just not having the belief that he could hang with those guys for like an hour or more. I mean, yesterday, I think the match was uh, just under an hour for three games, but at no point did he seem like he was forcing it or rushing to get to the finish line. Yeah, no, that's a good point. He looked, he looked great, actually, out there. Very at ease. I have the yeah. feeling Marwan might just be a little too, little too accurate. He, yeah, yeah. There's, there's no he's doubt. He's so good. He yeah. looks so good. He does, and there's no doubt at the minute, you know, maybe with the exception of his older brother, that he is the the man to beat at the minute. Certainly this week, he looks good. He looks relaxed. He's very, um, very assured when he's talking as well. Like he's like, you know, he's not really bothered about who he's playing. He's just going to get out there. He knows he's playing at a good level. He knows he's going to be hard to break down. He's, he's full of confidence, and and rightly so after last week's, you know, demolition of Kareem Abdelgawad in the final. He looks good. Uh, shout out to Nathan Lake, who had a good match with Marwan yesterday in the hard courts, but also had a pretty successful week, being uh, Raf Kandra and then uh, Arturo Salazar to make the third round and to give himself a chance against Marwan. Yeah, yeah, good week for him. Just on Maja, Mazan and um, Marwan, I do think that Mazan has the game to trouble Marwan if he put, puts it together. Because we've talked about how difficult it's going to be to beat Marwan by playing patient and trying to beat him at the back of the court. <laughs> I think the only sort of vulnerability he still has is if he can maybe open the court up and get him moving into the front corners. Uh, not going to be easy because of the quality of his length and width. But I do think if Hisham can find the balance there, he does have the game. And at the, at the moment, it seems like he's also got the fitness to go along with it to maybe cause some problems yeah i mean he's got the game to disrupt anyone's rhythm and confidence right like if you're rallying with someone up and down the forehand wall and you hit a decent drive and then they just he like floats those three wall boats nicks in 
and and players are usually kind of on them and they just roll at their feet um and he's also got that forehand drop from the back of the court i actually i played hesham at the irish open so in front of a home crowd and all that good stuff and i was in i was in decent shape to be honest i got absolutely <laughs> smoked out of the water and it wasn't a case that i didn't do I didn't do anything. I mean, I didn't do anything badly. I didn't do anything well, but I also couldn't, and I didn't have a Scooby-Doo where the ball was going. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, <laughs> he, he, he is definitely someone who can upset anyone's rhythm, even the most rhythmical of the rhythm. One of my, one of my former players, um, shout out Serge, El Sergani, he, uh, <laughs> he was buddies with Mezin and, and said they used to call that, uh, that drop shot the, the shawarma. Because uh, the way he the way he cuts it in there, it's like he's cutting off the shawarma. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love that one. Yeah, yeah, actually, that particular shot. I remember, my father came down to me at the end of the match. You know, and it was the one time a year that in the nationals he'd get to watch. He say he didn't say anything other than he sat down, and he looked over, he said, "Geez, that fellow's forehand drop is something else, isn't it?" <laughs> 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 and then he just got up and walked away. <laughs> And you're just like, yep, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Still suffer from a bit of whiplash from it. <laughs> did we all? Did we all take the the Puma over Tarek Moman? I did. I did, I did. as well. My prediction. Yeah. Okay. I've not oh. seen much of Diego, so it's hard to say. But I didn't think Tarek. I mean, he's probably playing better than he was at the World Tour Finals, but I don't think he's back at the level he was when he was winning world championships and making the semis and finals of these events. Uh, his match with Salazar last night was really entertaining, but uh, a little bit sort of all over the place at times. Yeah, it was. It was, it was like an exhibition. Yeah, it was very much so. Yeah. <laughs> um, Interesting. It'll be a really good match. It's, it's almost not the ultimate. Well, it's a very good test for Tarek to see where he's at and how he's bounced back from the disappointments of his last two events. And it's a perfect opportunity to put in a good performance. And if he can get a result, get back into the semis, where I'm sure he feels he belongs to be at least at that level, if not going even further. I mean, as the current world champion, I'm sure he's he's thinking further than semis, but the semis would be a good building block for his confidence to get back up there and give himself a shot. And it's also a huge opportunity for Diego as well. He's been talking quite a big game about how he wants to win these events and he feels like he's matured. And I think this match um, tonight is, is it tonight or tomorrow? Tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah. Um, this, this is a big chance to show that he really is up there and, and with a shot of winning these events. Do we see any any upsets? And let's just call it an upset is anything that goes against seeding. Well, Diego against Tarek would be an upset on seeding. So I think we all agree that are we all saying that Diego's going to win that? I, I am. Yeah, that's what we called before the event. It's that's what we call with it. Got, got to stick with it. If I could change, I'd consider. <laughs> Invert oh. the commas, quote unquote, Stuart Crawford. Yeah. I mean, Hania, Hania obviously uh, is a threat to, to Serm and Asal, I think, could be hard to say he's not a threat. So. Those are those are probably the other two big ones. Um, I feel like the other matches might go might go straight forward. And what do we got in terms of Egypt versus the world? Um, basically, every match today, and we have five Egyptians in the women's quarterfinals, and then, and then yeah, and then two of the four tomorrow. So 
two of the four tomorrow are uh, Egypt versus Egypt and two are Egypt versus the world. Yeah. The test is out. Five Egyptians in the quarter of the both draws, it seems. Um, the other player or match that I was going to talk about was, uh, I don't know if you watched any of Farag against Nicky Muller. Um, yeah. But that was a really good match and just got me thinking about how Nicky Muller, every time I see him play, I'm always really impressed with his game. I find him very, very watchable. Like, like the way he plays, nice and entertaining without being sort of wild and reckless. Um, but I just feel like he could have achieved more. Like, he just always seems like he's a threat to those top, top players. But yeah, I was looking up his highest ranking. He's, he's been in the top 20 for quite a bit of his career, but his highest ranking is 17. Uh, he's currently down at, I think, 33 from memory. Could be out by a couple of spots there, but he's certainly in the 30s at the moment. I know I, um, I would always hear the, the announcers talk about or question his fitness um, as, as one of the reasons why, you know, he was pushing people and not getting over the hump. But um, I obviously can't comment on that. My take on it. Would be he's like he's obviously he's an unbelievable ball striker. He's a, he's got he's so good around the middle. He's got a great variety of shots at his disposal. He can do things with the ball that a lot of players can't. But I would say less about his fitness, but more so about his maybe movement in and out of the front corners. I think it's the one area where he can get a little bit exposed. And I just feel, I just feel that maybe if he can get out of those corners a bit quicker. He'd be a nightmare because he's got such a great wingspan. He's an unbelievably good volleyer, uh, and if he could kind of, you know, move into the front corner, counter the drop, or play whatever he does, and whatever they, the next player plays, you can see he leaves a lot of space exposed. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, on his day, he doesn't miss. Yeah, I do think it's sort of a similar take to you, Arthur, but a little bit different. And I think he opened the court up too much against those top players, and he. I think he ends up doing a lot of work. And I'm not sure that his fitness is necessarily, maybe not as good as some guys on tour, but I don't think it's that big a weakness. But what he does do is he makes himself do a lot of work because of the way he plays. Um, and I know that's probably the way he likes to play, to play quite a open, full court type of game. But I think, against some of the really good players he can't really get away with it because he ends up having to chase and then he starts to fatigue because of the amount of work he's doing against them. There's really only three or four guys in the world that can play that way and not get tired. Um, Moment. <laughs> yeah, Tarek. I mean, Ali Farag seems to be able to play anyway and not really get tired. Um, Rami was the same as well. He could do anything. Like, geez, you'd have him in the back of 25 rallies. Not that anyone ever did that, but he was never breathing. Yeah. But I just feel like with, with Nicky Muller, sometimes he'd be better off just playing slightly more conservative. Uh, I mean, I saw a great quote from Will Strott this week saying when he beat Joe Macon, he's like, I may not be able to compete with him physically, but if I'm accurate enough, I won't have to do that much work and it'll be tough to make me tired. And I think there's something in that that Nicky Muller could maybe learn from is just like not giving up opponents the opportunity to hurt him and make him do as much work early in the match because you sort of see it when he gets tired he then tries to sort of shut down and maybe open the court less and then he gets really tired and he just goes all out 
and goes, goes the other way again. Um, yeah. Class yeah, player. I mean, yeah, no, I, I mean, I hope I don't come across as I'm being critical saying that I think he's slightly underachieved because I love watching him play and I think he's, I think he could have been a, certainly a top 16 and probably a top 10 player. I think he's um, one of the most talented and watchable guys out there. But I just, yeah, mm-hmm. just funny that he's sort of stuck, stuck between 20 and 30 for most of his career. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Like, and for the same reasons. I wonder as well, like, I remember there was one particular season where I not quite, I think he might have only won one or two matches, but still maintained his ranking. This is going back to your argument on earlier in the week, Stuart, with the seedings and the way it was. And so he was getting in at, in those days with 32 person draw of the top 23 always got in. And I wonder if his, if his confidence might have taken just a little bit of a dent in that period of time. Um, and maybe he could have, you know, got some benefit from playing a couple of smaller events and getting, you know, clocking up a few W's and winning a few more tournaments um, to complement playing those big uh, events. Because if you're only going to a tournament and playing one match, you know, it's, you know, let's say it's 12 matches a season, say it's 14 matches a season tops, that's not a huge amount of squash. Yeah. And... Um, it also puts a lot of pressure when you do finally get a sort of favourable draw where you're like, right, I'm playing a guy that's maybe only 13, 14, 15, 16 in the world. I need to make the most of that. Um, yeah. Although one thing I will say is he seems to deal well with pressure because every year at the Grasshopper Cup, he comes out and plays a really good match against one of the top guys. And that sort of expectation or crowd support doesn't really seem to affect him. And he's unbelievable for Switzerland. I mean, geez, yeah. if he had a match that he had to win and it didn't matter if it was against a Wilshop or a Borca, you'd almost put your mortgage on it. Yeah, I really like watching him. Yeah. He seems like a nice guy as well. I don't know him particularly well, but always one of my favourite players to, to watch on tour. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I would always go to my way to watch him. Just love the way he hits the ball, moves the ball. Yeah. Don't like playing him. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, he's never good enough to have to worry about that. Well, I wouldn't necessarily. I was particularly good enough either. <laughs> a lot of work. Jesus. Excuse me. Can I, finish with, can I finish with a little teaser? Oh, yeah. For the people. Um, well, you know, great week for one other person here uh, at the Egypt Open, Sabrina Sobi, who um, has agreed to come on the podcast soon. So looking forward to getting her on. She obviously played probably one of the better round of 16 matches in the tournament against uh, Camille Serm and, you know, went the entire distance, super impressed um, as, as we all spoke about and really looking forward to getting her on and we can, you know, talk a little bit about that uh, next episode when we get her on, but that was a good day. stuff. A few days. All right. Well, guys, look, uh, Hanya and Camille are about to warm up. I'm off to watch a bit of squish. <laughs> happy squishing happy squishing have a great one fellas thank you Chris thank you Stuart thanks guys thanks guys we good good I think so yeah <laughs>